0: Welcome to Church Project. Under your chair, close to you is a Bible uh, or over on the lamps. If you need to grab one of those, you can, you can grab one. Also, if, if you have the YouVersion app on your iPhone or iPad, you can open that up. All our notes are on there. And so, yeah, how's that sound? Uh, Today, we we are just going to jump in, and I'm going to ask you a pretty big question. Here's the question is, um, do you know what your purpose in life is? That's a huge question, right? So we're going to tackle that in the next couple minutes, and we're all going to leave here knowing exactly what our purpose in life is. So uh, we're that good, right? No, no, we are, though, going through the book of Luke. We've been doing that uh, since January. We really, at Church Project, believe in the Word of God, uh, the Bible. And so grab your Bible, open it up, and look at it. We're going to start in chapter 5. We're going to go through verse 17 through 26. Uh, We've been going through just all the way through Luke and and kind of looking at it. Why have we been doing that? If you know much about uh, the Bible, Luke uh, writes, and when he writes, he's writing, saying this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is what he was doing. This is what he was thinking. Um, And I thought, and we thought, as Church Project, what a better way to start a church than to study the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ. I mean, if Jesus pretty much walked and did it, then let's pattern ourselves in our lives in our church after the way Jesus did it. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. So here we are. Luke chapter 5 verse 17. I'm just jumping in because this is this is some good stuff today. Uh, verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Jesus was teaching, Okay, the Pharisees and, and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. I want to hit pause right there and a couple of things really jumped out at me in this in this verse right here. One is Pharisees and the teachers of the law, okay? These are what we would call the professional pastors, right? These are the the seminary guys. These are the ones that are all knowledgeable. They know everything there is to know, right? They, They have done this. And so, it's interesting to see that one day when Jesus was teaching, this young guy is teaching. And it says that these professional pastors and seminary professors and everyone from all around came from all the lands all around to sit and to listen to Jesus teach. I wonder... How many of them came because they were like, okay, I'm an up-and-coming teacher. I'm going to have a huge congregation one day. I'm a, I want some good advice from this guy. Because word about Jesus had start, had been starting to spread. Like, he's healing people. Things are doing, I mean, his name is getting out. And so, these teachers come. I wonder how many came for, you know, just advice to make their ministry better. And I wonder how many of them came to sit at Jesus' feet to listen to him because they did not agree and they did not know what he was teaching. Now, when I look at it from that perspective, I wonder how many teachers were sitting there. These professional teachers were sitting there. Jesus is teaching. God Himself is teaching them. And they're missing it. I mean, Jesus is sitting right in front of them and teaching and they're not hearing it. Like they may hear the words, but it's not changing their heart. It's not changing their perspective. And then I have to ask this question for us. What questions am I going to ask? Probably some of the questions that you may be thinking right now. How many times have we heard truth? Have we heard scripture? And we've been unchanged by it. How many times have we even come together to this thing called church project or churches, ecclesias, all over the place, and we've sat and we've heard the Scripture read and our hearts are not changed. Like We're hearing this enormous truth, but it's not really radiating in us. See, I want to pray right now. Just silently as I look at you, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will begin to grip your heart and begin to show all of us the truth that's in this Scripture because it's beautiful stuff. And don't catch yourself in a routine where you just came and had it was bad coffee today. I'm sorry, but uh, don't catch yourself in the routine where you came and had bad coffee and you sat down and, and you're hearing powerful truth, but then we leave here and it, we're not changed at all. Like nothing in us has changed. We're going to get onto that in a little bit. But I look at these teachers, and and well, a lot of them are saying, probably, I'm fine. Like my life is good. And they're sitting there, Jesus is teaching, and they're thinking, I don't really need God in my life. How many of us think in our life, we're fine, we're, we're good, like we're okay. We, we, we really don't need God in our life. In a very real sense, the attitude of their heart was hard. And I wonder for our lives, how many times is my heart hard? You know, we just looked at, at Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 30 where Jesus Himself went to His hometown where He grew up and their hard heart made it so they couldn't see who Jesus was. See, they in His hometown wouldn't even accept Jesus because they had a hard heart. So here's the question for us today. I believe that these teachers, these Pharisees, for the most part were sitting by the Word and not under the Word. They're hearing this enormous truth. They're sitting by it, but they're not living under it. It's not transforming their life. It's not coming alive in them. So I ask us, are we sitting by the Word or under the Word? And is the Word changing us? Alright, so I'm I'm 38. I don't know if you consider that old or young. Old. Yeah, I'm old. What? Yeah, okay, I'm old. I'm, get, I'm getting older. Uh, and, and I can think back of, of lessons from my dad. I can think back of lessons from people that are wiser and older than me. I can, I can think back on all these things and, and oftentimes, raise your hand if you're, a, no, don't raise your hand. Just just nod your head if you're a proud person. Don't nod your head. Okay, all of us can say we're a Proud people, like like to to a certain degree, we want it our way on our terms all the time. Like that, that's just kind of our makeup. Okay, maybe not yours, but mine. I'm a very proud person, and so oftentimes, like if my dad would come and, and show me a lesson or teach me something, or someone older and wiser would show me something, tell me something, my first thought is whatever, old fart, <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's like, what do you know, you know? Until like two weeks ago, until weeks ago, I'm shoveling snow. How many times have we done that this year? A lot, right? And I'm, I'm even being nice. I'm shoveling my neighbor's walk. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And I did one of those things my dad always said not to do. Okay, I didn't lift with my legs, right? Oh, that is that Frogger? That's awesome. Is <laughs> that Pac-Man? Mario. Mario. Oh, that's Mario. I love it. That's awesome. So I'm 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 shoveling and and I do one of these. I don't lift with my legs. Everyone knows that, right? Your dads or people would say, lift with your legs. Don't hurt your back. And I went. Oh no! And right away, I'm thinking, okay, why, 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 why? I'm 38 and I'm still like, whatever, Dad. I'll do it my way, you know. And for two weeks, I could barely even tie my shoes. I'm like, oh, you know. But pride gets in my way oftentimes. I hear truth and it doesn't transform me. I have I have wise advice from my dad and I'm still like throwing with my back or whatever it may be, and that's just stupid. But how many times in our lives do we hear the word of God, like the teachers, like the Pharisees? How many weeks can we come to church in and out, and we can say, Bless you, brother, and all this other stuff, but it's not transforming our life? It's not coming alive in us. The older I get, the more in love with Scripture I I, I fall in love with. It's just a fact. There's truth in the Scripture, and it's powerful. Some of my most meaningful times in life right now, I love my wife, I love my girls, I love my friends, I love this church, but it really means nothing when I get to sit down with good coffee (laughs) and the Bible. And even if it's just one minute, or ten minutes, or whatever it may be, and the Spirit begins to move and show me and guide me, that's the best time in life. How many times we heard the word and it not changed us? Well, let's go on with our story here. Verse 18. This is where it gets really good for us. See, Jesus comes. He's teaching. The power of the Lord was on him. He's healing the sick. We get to verse 18 and there's men that come across him. And the the word had, had penetrated the hearts of these men. Like they understood this. Like it, it was alive in them. It was transforming in them. Because this is what these stupid men did. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a, a, a paralytic, para, whatever, I can't say it, on a mat. Jared always laughs. Hey, if I can mess up a word, I will, dude. Okay, you, you can read it. Carry him on a mat. And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Do you think these men had encountered Jesus in their life at some point? Yeah. They believed in Jesus so much that there was nothing that was going to stop them from getting their friend in front of Jesus. Look at this. Nothing was going to get in their way of getting their friend who couldn't walk and move in front of Jesus. Because in their own lives, Jesus, they had, they had encountered him and he had healed them and he had loved them and he had given them hope. And they're looking at their friends saying, you can't get there, but we're going to get you there by ourselves. Like, let's go and let's do this. So when they show up. Look at all the obstacles they have to overcome in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. They had been changed and they knew Jesus was the answer and they were going to get their friend in front of him no matter what the cost. They didn't care who they were offending along the way. But just put yourself in this house right here, right? This is the house, big house, right? Jesus is healing. And then all of a sudden dust starts falling on our head because someone's cutting a hole. It's so packed in here no one can can move. And pretty soon someone starts like prying stuff open and we can see the sunlight now. And we see heads and we're like what are these crazy guys doing? And pretty soon it's a huge hole and pretty soon we see them dropping down a guy that's on a mat. I'm like "What? what would you think if someone was doing that right now? But these friends, they didn't care who they were offending. They didn't care how loud they were. Okay? They didn't care what cost it was going to cost them. Like, if I'm about to rip open a roof, I'm probably thinking, this is going to be expensive. <laughs> like we, can, we can probably think of another way here, guys. Like, come on, let's text Jesus or something, right? It's like, the cost, they didn't care about the cost. They were even willing to be embarrassed. How embarrassing is that? Hey, guys, don't, don't, you know, don't worry about me. I'm just ripping your roof off, you know? They, they don't care about being embarrassed. They didn't even care. Oh, this one gets me a lot. They didn't care about how hard the work was going to be. Like I'm thinking, can't we crowd surf our friend in or something? But ripping this roof off is going to be hard work. Like I might get cut up, I might bleed, I might sweat. Who knows? But it's hard work. They didn't care about the amount of hard work. They were willing to do something out of the ordinary to get their friend in front of Jesus Christ. Wow. I'm going to ask this question to myself because I don't want to come across as hard. (laughs) And this is where I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will just love you a little. Oftentimes, I either don't care enough about people, okay, or I don't believe enough in Jesus. Think about this. Oftentimes, I don't go that extra mile because I don't care enough about people. Or quite honestly, if I'm being vulnerable, I don't believe enough in Jesus. If I loved you the way Jesus loved you, there would be nothing, nothing I wouldn't do for you. And if I believed Jesus could heal you of anything and everything, I would do anything to get you in front of him. I hit pause and I think about this for us. What kind of friends do you have in your life? Do you have people that are so in love with God and they care about you so much that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get you in front of Jesus, to save your marriage, to heal you, to comfort you, to love you? And then that's the selfish way to look at it. Let's look at it in reverse now. What kind of friend are you to people? How much do you love people? How much do you believe in Jesus and His healing power? I look at Greeley and I say, Church Project, let's live on mission here. Like, let's live on mission. We all live in houses, hopefully. If not, talk to me after this, okay? We all live in, we all live in houses and neighborhoods. And on, and on our mind should be this constantly. On the front of our mind should be to the people that we live next to, the people that we, we work with, the people that we casually know, even the people that we don't even know. On the front of our mind should be, how can I get you in front of the love of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus has healed me. He's saved me. He's loved me. And all I want to do is show you that love. Not with the big old bullhorn yelling and all that stuff. But what can we do to love Greeley? Greeley desperately needs hope and needs love. Here's the here's truth. Raise your hand if you agree with me, okay? An identity about Greeley is even the people that don't like here, for, for, or people that live here, for the most part, don't even like Greeley. Okay? I mean, yo, know, you know, you know, what's the first thing you hear when you when, when you say I'm from Greeley? They're like, "Oh, a place that smells like... Never mind," <laughs> right? Greeley itself has an identity problem. Who cares what Boulder and Fort Collins and anyone else in the world thinks about Greeley? Greeley itself has an identity problem. A lot of people, even in Greeley, don't like Greeley, and it's like, you know what? I am so glad that God has brought us here because Greeley needs identity. Greeley needs love. Greeley needs hope. And you know what Greeley really needs after I've been living here for 2 years? Greeley needs community. I mean, we're we're all over the place. It's just Greeley alone. I mean, we got our downtown that's trying to, to get going. It's it's trying, you know? We got our little pockets and they're they're, they're trying, right? But there's no centralized community. People are are isolated. They're, They're picked off by Satan because they have no friends. They have no community. Hello, church. What a great opportunity that we have. We get to love our neighbors. Okay, our house church had a great conversation on Wednesday, and it was about this. The Bible, awesome, but how is that affecting our life? Like, what are we doing with all this knowledge, with all this stuff? And we came up with a great idea. Thank you, Christina and House Church. <laughs> it's, it's not its not huge. I mean, it's, hello, it's not rocket science, but here, you want something practical, here's a practical thing, okay? On the 22nd, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, we're going to have a barbecue at the Haven's house for House Church, and we're going to roll our barbecue to the front yard instead of the backyard, and we're going to ask people to come have some food. Amen. You know? How hard is that? That's not... Hard As Christians, we should believe Jesus because He's loved us. We should believe Him so much and we should love people so much that we're willing to do anything and everything to get them in the, in the front of Jesus, to lower them through the roof so they can look in His eyes. Man, let's go to a 21. We're going we're to hit a little fast forward here right now, okay? Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks of blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up Take your mat and go home. Verse 25. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home and praised God. Okay, I want to ask a question. What was the miracle here? You can respond. What happened? He got up and walked, and I heard someone quietly. Absolutely. Absolutely we look at this story right here and I would say a majority of us, I, myself included, as I, as I read through this, I thought wow a paralyzed man walked clap it out clap it out, I can't do it like Shannon, but a paralyzed man walked, oh my goodness have you ever seen that, what a miracle, like oh wow that's phenomenal The biggest miracle right here is Jesus knew this man's greatest need was to be forgiven. That was his greatest need. So in this passage, I see two miracles. The first one, he was healed. And that's the least of the two miracles because that's going to last another 60 years for him or whatever. The greatest miracle was that his, his sins were forgiven. There's a truth in Scripture that we can drop all the way back to the beginning of time, and it was this. We were in perfect communion with God. It's awesome. Running around naked, eating fruit, whatever. <laughs> perfect, man. Then we decided to be disobedient against God. Okay? Separation from God. Because we began to f- not follow His truth, and we began to go our own way, and Aaron began to get really proud and shovel snow the wrong way, and you know th- this is what happened. And oftentimes we walk around and we think we're okay, like every everything's okay. There's something I want to propose to you. We can't be right until we know it's wrong. We- it can't be fixed until you know that it's broken. I worked for a construction company when I was a young lad, and because I was a young lad, they said, "Hey, strong back, your your job is to pick up the wheelbarrow and roll it. Like that's what you do. Like you roll the wheelbarrow." So all day long, I pick up the wheelbarrow and I roll the wheelbarrow, you know, rocks and all that stuff. And so I'm rolling the wheelbarrow, you know, day after day, I roll the wheelbarrow. And then one day, my boss looked at me and he goes, "I can make this a lot easier on you." I'm like, okay. He went and he greased up the wheel. And then suddenly it was like the easiest thing to roll ever. Like what I thought was working and what I was doing over and over and over again was kind of working but not really. When he came and greased it up, I went twice as fast. See, I didn't know it wasn't broken. The reality of our condition as human beings is it was good. We were disobedient. We have broken lives. A separation from God. And he says in Romans 10, 13, call on the name of God and you will be saved. Once we realize that we are nothing without God, we've come to the point of brokenness. Our wheelbarrow is now greased. And we can say, God, I give you control of my life. And so the question is this, are you done trying on your own? Are you done trying on your own? get to verse 26 and we'll wrap this up okay everyone was amazed and gave praise to God they were filled with awe and said we have seen remarkable things today we have seen remarkable things today what have we seen we have seen remarkable things today for the ones that believed in Jesus they had seen remarkable things today (laughs) <laughs> I got a call this week from a guy that I haven't talked to in years. He lives down in Texas. He was one of my leaders at, at a ministry I had down there. And he called me up and he said this. He goes, Aaron, I, I, you know, I said, how you doing? I, he goes, I'm, I'm okay. Actually, no, I'm not. He goes, since the time you moved from Texas, I've pretty much chose to live life on my own, do my own thing. Um, you know, now I'm living with a girl that is like my second girlfriend. Um, you know, she's she was pregnant. We had a kid. Like he begins to explain this story, and the story itself isn't breaking my heart. Like the facts of the story is not breaking my heart. What's breaking my heart is this guy loved God so much, and somewhere along the way, he lost sight of God and His eyes and His love. And so all these actions started piling up to this big long story. And then we get to the point where I said, "Well, tell me why did you call today?" And he goes, I, "I've been going to church project down in the in the woodlands." The church down there and God has been gripping my heart and he's been working in my heart and he was Aaron I'm coming to Colorado in, in middle of um, the summer and my girlfriend and I want to get married because we're living life the wrong way and we want to begin to walk and follow scripture the way that God has laid it out and I'm thinking in my mind I have seen remarkable things look what's happening to this guy from Texas I have seen remarkable things another conversation I had today was another guy from Texas, or not today, but this week, and and this guy just graduated from high school, and and his life, he seems to be, he said, I'm aimless, I'm just kind of mundane and moving through the motions of my day in and my day out, and and I said this, because I believe in Church Project and what we're doing here, I said this, move from Texas, it's too hot, come to Greeley, because it smells good, and we need you here, Like you say you have a mundane and aimless life. I believe in the mission that God's given us here. Move up here and guess what? He just might. Is that remarkable? I've seen remarkable things. I had another phone. This was a busy week for phone calls. (laughs) I had another phone call from a guy that, again from Texas who now lives in Chicago and this guy is a phenomenal musician and he says this, I'm not being used. I know I have a greater purpose in my life and it's not Chicago right now and he's just kind of telling me this, this story, and what do you think I tell him? Move to Greeley, and guess what? He just might move to Greeley. He really might move to Greeley, and he's a phenomenal guitar player and musician. Is that a remarkable thing? I have seen remarkable things. I'm meeting with someone this next week who's an older couple, and you know what I'm telling them? There's a theme in this, I guess. I didn't, I didn't know about this, but there's a theme in this. I didn't mean this to be a theme. But I'm, I'm meeting with this older couple next week, and, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this. We need you to live on mission at Church Project. Like, they don't come here. They, they don't come here. They, don't even, they live in Fort Collins. I want to be meeting with him and I'm looking him in the eyes and with all passion and all seriousness I want to say this. We need you to live on mission at church project. I E we need you to come to church project because we need maturity in church project. We need older, wiser people in church project. We need you to come show us how to do this. Your lives have proven that you love God and that his his joy is in you. So come come to Greeley, come to church project. Live on mission with us and guess what? I think they're gonna say yes, but I'm an optimist. So I, I, I have seen remarkable things. Here, this one is the most remarkable for me most recently, okay? One of my neighbors, and I won't tell you which one, there's a bunch of them around me, is smiling a lot more and playing tag in their front yard with their kids. <sighs> Why? Because I believe they're beginning to encounter the love of God. It's changing their life. When I'm outside playing with my kids, guess who comes out? They do. Because they long for community. They want community. They want love. They get to see it occasionally and they want more of it. Is that a remarkable thing? Wait till they come here. Someone else is going to have to preach because I'll be crying like a baby the whole time. (laughs) Have you seen remarkable things in your life? I have. And I believe in the love of Jesus Christ. I believe in it. And I'll do anything to tell anyone about the love of Christ, including ripping roofs off of buildings. To get our friends and our families to see Jesus and to look in His eyes. I personally could tell you a story of how God has loved me. And I imagine if, if you're a Christian, you can tell me a story of how God has loved you and brought smiles to your face. I used to worry a lot about the future. I don't worry about the future anymore. That's why we were listening to reggae this morning. Don't worry, not a thing. (laughs) Because every little thing.
1: It's gonna be alright. Yeah.
0: But not on my way, but on Jesus' way. That's why I can say that I don't worry about the future because I know who holds the future. It's Jesus Christ. I am living a remarkable life. Not because I'm talented or because anything going on or because I'm good at washing windows. I'm not doing that. I'm living a remarkable life because Jesus has, has chosen me and said, I love you, Aaron. That's it. He's chosen you and He loves you. He's blessed you. Why does Jesus do all this healing in our life? Why do we have these incredible stories to tell? Well, look at the last two words in verse 25. He does all this thing. And then the last two words in verse 25 says, and he went on home praising God. May our lives praise God. May our smiles praise God. When we get our walk back from being paralyzed, may it praise God. May whatever we do praise God, because that's the meaning of life that 's the purpose of life it 's not about us it 's about Jesus Christ and telling anyone and everyone about that love and by the way, experiencing it ourselves isn 't that awesome? This is good news what i 'm to ask you to do is uh, just you know close your your Bibles or whatever i 'm um, ask you a couple questions and this is where I really pray that now you 're being honest with God today just think about these questions have you heard the words and you're unaffected how many times have you heard a message the only thing you could think about was what was coming on at the end of the day what you were going to eat have you heard the words of Christ and you're unaffected if so what's wrong What's wrong? Maybe you need to pray that God will soften your heart. That you'll begin to believe God and His words will come alive in you. Are you living for a greater purpose than just yourself? Something to think about? Do you believe in Jesus enough to bring people to Him? That's a big one. And here's another question just to think about. Do we seek the hand of God more than we seek God Himself? Do we seek His miracles and what He can do for our life? Or do we seek God Himself more? I do, uh, Danny. you Might flip those lights because it'll affect it a little bit. But I want you to kind of think about these things. And uh, we've already seen this video once, uh, but I, I want to show it again. And then we'll then we'll do some two more praise songs after this. But but here it is. This is a, a video that uh, Church Project in the Woodlands made. Um, you know, our model we're, were the same, and they made it for house church. Okay, you're going to hear me talk about house church every single week because that's the most important thing we do. I mean, this is good. I love this. I love coming together and rallying and studying Scripture and encouraging each other. But man, house churches is where it's at. That's where you get to chew on Scripture. That's where you get to have barbecues and, and fellowship. And that's is some of the smaller groups. House church is where it's at. And so ask yourself as we watch this video, are you in a house church? If not, why not? That's what I'll ask you. Why not? Like you should be. You get in a house church and then I'll close up after this video. But here's a little
1: clip on the house church. So when we think about starting a church, you know, we have thoughts of what we want church to be, and the Bible gives a great description of what seems to be the greatest church ever. We see that in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 2, the church was powerful, and it was raw, and it's organic, and it's, it's moving, and it's alive, and so when we think about church today, that seems to be the goal, to have a church like that, but... Many churches don't do church the way they did it. So when we started Church Project, we said, if we want church like that, why don't we do church the way they did it? And so we see the model of church for us in the beginning of Acts, that they met in the temple courts by the thousands, and they worshiped, and they listened to the apostles' teaching of scripture, and they prayed together. And then... Because they wanted to live in community like Jesus did, and like Jesus commanded us to, like he taught us to, they couldn't do that by the thousands or even by the hundreds. And so they met in the dozens from house to house. That's what Acts tells us. And in fact, even in some of Paul's letters, he would write to the church that meets in so-and-so's house. And so at Church Project, we have followed this model and we even use the nomenclature and we call our groups, if you will, our communities, we call them house churches. And so house churches meet together throughout the week. House churches are led by pastors, not small group leaders, but pastors, men who have all the biblical qualifications of what it means to be an elder, be a pastor. And in these house churches, we find host homes who have the gift of hospitality and serving. And so we believers are meeting together in house churches, and we're doing what they did in Acts because we want to see happen what happened in Acts happen here at Church Project. And so believers are getting together, and they are living in community. They are first studying Scripture together. They are getting into the Word and digging into the Word together. And that's all they do. They're not studying some curriculum, but they're digging into Scripture together. And they are meeting one another's needs. What we're seeing happen in Acts, that people were selling their own things and sacrificing and serving. and Benevolence didn't happen in the office of the church. It happened in the homes with people giving to one another. And so that's what we do. All of our benevolence, all of our meeting of one another's needs happens through house church. People are giving Uh, they're, They're giving people cars, they're paying people's rent, they're watching people's kids for them, they're buying groceries, they're meeting each other's needs. People who have needs, their needs are being met with the community they live in and worship together in. And so we're seeing people's needs met in house church, they're studying scripture together, they're praying for one another, people are really interceding for each other, sharing real needs, honest, authentic needs, and praying for one another these are in the context of cross-generational communities. We see Paul telling Timothy, To have the older people teach the younger people. And so we're seeing older people and younger people mixed together in cross-generational communities. Older and younger people, rich and poor, young and old, all living together in what we call house churches. And this is the model we see in Acts. And it's free-flowing, it's organic, it's alive. When a house church gets too big, where the house church pastors can't properly care for the people, then we'll start another house church with another house church pastor. And we also see that model. And when Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to appoint elders in every town so that everyone had access to a pastor to teach them and lead them and care for them. And so we have house churches spreading out and we also meet geographically. In fact, we want to saturate neighborhoods. So we start meeting in different areas where our people are living. And before long, we're starting one, two, three, four house churches in every neighborhood. We want to saturate each of our neighborhoods and villages and communities with a different house church. So this is our plan for people in our church to meet together. Different generations, different socioeconomic backgrounds, all loving each other, loving Jesus, serving one another, meeting each other's needs, praying for each other, helping disciple one another. This is what we call house church and this is what we want you to be a part of. This is where you'll taste the essence of life. With Jesus and community and church together, so find a house church new year, join it, love people, people will love you, and together we'll see the church become everything Christ wants it to be.
0: I believe in, in in church project and what God's doing, but more importantly, I believe in God Himself and Jesus and what He's doing, and so I invite you, will you join the community? If not. What community are you a part of? You need to be a part of a community of friends and people that are running after God. Because that's where life is. That's where love is. If you would, stand up and and let's begin to to worship God. I want to give you a couple opportunities. One is, if you found yourself here today and and you can say, I've I've never asked God to take control of my life. Like when you were describing that whole proud thing and doing life on your own but that's, that's me i want to give you an opportunity today to just surrender control of your life to Jesus Christ say so God I realize that my life is broken God I'm asking you to come and take control of my life I'm done trying it on my own that's that's you today. We're going to have men up front that would love to to pray with you and to talk to you about that. It's not a, a magical thing that happens. It's a moment when you realize that God loves you and you surrender control of your life to Him. So please talk to us if that's you. Maybe as we prayed for the Holy Spirit in this place to teach us and to guide us and love us and to encourage us today, God was showing you something personal, (laughs) maybe something that words that I used or even words that God was using to your heart. If that's the case, I, I want to ask you to respond to that. Maybe that's sitting and praying. Maybe it's worshiping through these words. Maybe it's over here on your right, there's communion. We can celebrate what god has done for our life and how he sacrificed his life for us um, there's even response cards over there you can write prayer requests and we'll pray with you or, or for you this next week and, and moving on what's important is this is that you respond to what god is, is saying to you today and how he's prompting you so with that I'm going to pray and leave us in you just to worship God and to respond to him the way he's calling you to. God thank you for today thank you for our life, thank you for loving us God thank you for healing us, giving us sight letting us walk, setting us free giving us purpose thank you for your love, thank you for your hope, thank you for your joy if there's anyone in here that doesn't have that today I pray that they respond to you Thank you for bringing us here today.